Welcome to the Healing Embodied Podcast, where we have real and raw conversations about growth and healing that will shift your perspective in profound ways. We take a unique approach to healing the overthinking mind, creating conscious relationships, and living a life of courage and freedom. So take a deep breath and get ready to expand your mind, connect to your body, and activate your spirit. Hello and welcome back to the Healing Embodied Podcast. This is your host, Chelsea Horton. I am so excited for today's episode. Uh, This is actually someone we've had on the podcast before and her episode was the second highest uh, downloaded episode. I think it was 13. It's uh, the power of somatic work for OCD and um, so many people were just so moved by your story and your experience and your wisdom. I know a lot of people like listen to that episode when they need this like dose of hope and empowerment in the middle of their OCD journey. Um, So I just also want you to know that like that episode blew up and people really love it. So I'm so glad to have you back to talk more about, yeah, your experience of doing this work. And the focus of today's episode is going to be a little different you know, as some of you know, I've announced that we at Healing Embodied have created our own practitioner training program to certify practitioners, people who want to go into somatic work. Um, we've created a, a program to train people and certify people. And so, you know, Liz has done so much of our work and been on the receiving end of it. And today I just want to have her share of like what what is it like to be on the receiving end of the healing embodied method, even in comparison with other somatic therapies, parts work, trauma work, um, just to really make it clear how, like what the healing embodied method stands for, what it's about and how our clients experience this work versus being the practitioner talking about it. Like, what's it like to hear from someone who's experienced it as a client. So I'm just so glad that you're willing to have this conversation with me. Yay. I'm so happy to be here again. I'm honored, honestly. Um, And ever since you told me that you want to talk about this, Chelsea, I feel like I've had so many moments of like, oh my God, I can see, I can see why they did that this way because look at me right now handling it in X way or like, even trying out different modalities, kind of being like, oh, this just doesn't work for me. And I know what we'll get into that more, but I'm just, I'm really, really excited to speak to the importance of your work and what you do and help open people's eyes to like what this program can, well, the training program can do for practitioners, because that is so super important, um, especially after dating a lot of different therapists. Um, <laughs> so many dates. Um <laughs> To uh, to also like, you know, for people that are listening to also get an idea of like, I hate to use my corpo word, but like the strategy of healing embodied, how you approach people um, and their pain and their darkness. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I yeah. Wanna... <laughs> and even like, I don't mind the word strategy and because it's like, there's actually a method to what we do. It's not random. Um, this is from years and years and years of development of this work. 
And, you know, with, with my, you know, for my master's program, I did a, um, a clinical case study. And so you have to, from your work with clients in a clinical case study, you are looking for common themes to see like, what is it that I'm doing that is working across the board to facilitate X results. So because I have this background in, in my master's training, I was able to look at the work that Sarah and I were doing over and over and over and over and over again with clients and go, this, 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 this is what we're doing. And that's basically how I created the Healing and Body Practitioner Training Program. It's like a, a clinical case study of like, what is it that we're doing that's really, really working? What keeps recurring over and over and over again that has the, the biggest impact? And what is, yeah, what what can actually be something that can be repeated and taught? And so, yeah, in a way it is, it's a strategy, it's a method. It, it's not, it's not random. It is, it's development of skill over years. And so it's really cool that like, you're able to even see and pick up on some of the things, even without us explicitly saying what it is that's happening. Oh, totally. Like I, I, when you didn't approach me and say, Hey, I created these five pillars for this program and I want you to speak to them. All you said was, want you to come on and talk about um, how we've been different from other modalities, other therapists. And my mind, I started to actually pay attention to your approach rather than just paying attention to my response. Um, and it was pretty cool because that also helps me understand then like the, the mastery behind it of, you know, we kind of go into this or I did at least, and you and Sarah encouraged it of having blind trust you know, if you like laid out, this is what it's going to look like, which you might have in some sort of way for expectation setting, but I would not have like, actually what I would have done is my OCD brain would have been like, oh, this step, then I have to do this step. Then I have to do this step and then I'm going to conquer it. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Learn how that does not work that way. Um, and you kind of go from step one to five to two to zero, never really zero, but like you can feel like it's zero. Um, you're kind of bouncing back and forth, but you've been teaching me um, and so many people all of these different tools within these pillars that you need to harness in times of like really, really deep despair and even not even deep despair. Sometimes it's just like a mini trigger and, and being able to leverage what you've taught me in um, a way that's empowering. And um, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I'm excited to, to talk about this. <laughs> and you can ask me questions, so I don't want to just like dive in. I'm, I'm also that. happy to just like let the conversation unfold as it will. Um, but, you know, I know that you you are someone who like you are you prioritize your own growth and healing. And so you've you've done a lot of things. You've you like you said, you've dated a lot of therapists, a lot of different modalities, which is really great to really find like, OK, what works best for me and what didn't work about this? What does work about this other thing? And so, you know, based on what you've shared with me in the past, like you've even worked with other somatic or body-based therapists who specialize in trauma, who specialize in OCD, anxiety. So yeah, you, you have experience with people who would be considered probably similar or someone on the outside might go, oh, they both do the same thing. When in reality, it's, there's a lot of things that 
make it different. And that's what I want to talk about today of like these things that are embedded in our training and in our methodology that go beyond just, oh, somatic work or parts work or just involving the body. Like there's more that's happening even as we're working with the body and as we're working with <clears throat> different parts of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that is a huge, huge pillar of our philosophy, our approach is the belief in the stance that we are not here to rescue you from your pain. We're not here to hold it for you, to take it away from you, to believe that we need to do something that you're not capable of doing yourself. Um, And I know for a lot of practitioners, this is such a hard one because there's this belief that if I really care about people, I need to rescue them. And that this is what's helping them. If I hold the pain for them, if I take it away, And this is often very subtle and subconscious, and a lot of practitioners don't realize they're doing this. But I think overall, there is this unconscious belief, I am helping you by holding it for you or trying to rush you through it to rescue you from it. So I'm just curious to hear from you as a client, your experience of working with us and not having us rescue you from the pain. Cause that might seem like at first kind of harsh or like, Oh my God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking it from the client side of things, and I'm sure I'll speak for myself, but I'm sure I would actually love to pull how many people <laughs> have felt this way that are, were in my shoes of, I was so anxious and I was looking my whole life for someone to rescue me. My parents could it. And that's the core of a lot of my, my inner despair and um, wounded parts. But um, I got into a relationship and, and with someone who's really caring and I was expecting them to save me. And he was very clear that he was not. And it was like, he was setting a boundary um, that he can be supportive, but he's not here to save me. And I recognized that. And I was like, okay, therapy. <laughs> and so you go to your therapist as like, and this is unconscious too, because I did believe like, I'm paying you, you have to save me from my pain. This is awful. I'm in such deep despair and I don't know what to do. I need you to alleviate this for me. So as a therapist, like I'm not a therapist, but I would imagine as someone who gets into this practice because they want to help people, they're picking up on that. They're picking up on the urgency of the client saying like, I, you know, the deepest despair of my life, I didn't really want to live anymore. Like I wanted to, but I couldn't live the way I was. Um, so I would imagine if someone met me with that level of despair without having this unconscious behavior become conscious, I would be like, what do I have to do to save this person? Oh my God. Like, especially it's a lot of pressure of a practitioner to say like, this person's life is in my hands. Cause that's how I was treating it. <laughs> I was so desperate for anyone to take my life and make it better. Um, and I think with healing embodied, I'm I just like, as you were talking about that, I thought of my first week in luscious love <laughs> and how I didn't get the sense. Um, I think I worked with Sarah a lot that first week and I didn't get the sense from Sarah that she was changing anything for me. I got the sense that I was heard, understood, um, validated without reassurance, just kind of 
my feelings are valid. Um, and I think those things were enough for me to know, okay, I'm in the right place. And I'll just, again, that blind trust aspect of like, I'm just going to keep going forward with this. Um, but I would say at no point I've worked with you all for two and a half years. It'll be three years in November, I think. I think I'm pretty sure I messaged you on Halloween of 2021 freaking out. Um, and then I joined, but I, at no point, and I'm going to say this throughout so many times of this interview, I'm sure, but at no point that I feel like you or Sarah were like, okay, just throwing things at me to fix me or to take away my pain. It was more of, again, that like validation. Um, I was, I felt like I was being held virtually, which is incredible. Um, yeah. And I feel like those things, I just, you know, came back for another session. I was, I was doing the, or trying to practice the tools and, um, you know, we call it like, you know, you're lifting weights in this sort of mind body connection way. Um, yeah, I think I want to see if you have any thoughts you want to add to that, but. Mm. Oh, I love hearing all this. It's like, it's very cool for me to hear how this particular pillar of our work is received. And I think you articulated it so beautifully. Like we didn't match your urgency. Like you came to us with urgency and we didn't go, ah, ah, ah. like we stayed in our like grounded, loving presence because, and this is gonna go into another pillar later, but because we actually trust that you are capable and we create the optimal space for you to learn that. And I just gave me sorry. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I felt that without knowing, even you just saying that, it's like I could go back to that time and being like, no way could I do this on my own or trust myself through this because I felt so I still felt desperate, but didn't realize like what was happening. Um and how that was helping me get to that place. Uh, oh my gosh, I was going to say something else with what you said. Um, didn't take on your urgency. Creating the space yeah. for you to learn that, that you could. Dang it. Yeah, it was, I was going to say something that I was like, that might go into another pillar. <laughs> yeah, right. They're all interwoven. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm also curious to hear like, What's it like when you can feel that a practitioner is matching you in that urgency with wanting to rescue you from your pain and, and throw things at you? Yes. Okay. That you just helped me remember what I was going to say, which was going to bring in some other experiences with practitioners. Um, I know everyone probably comes in and urgency looks different. Some people come in and urgency looks angry, um, frozen. Like you can be urgent and not be able to speak because you're so frozen by your pain. Uh, for me, at least in the beginning and honestly throughout still today, I cry a lot. <laughs> there is just so much grief in my, that I hold in my body. Um, and I think with previous practitioners, I didn't have the full trust of just being like, this is how much pain I'm in and crying. Um, 
because I felt them wanting to move me along. So there have been times I recall of like just sobbing and feeling so many really difficult feelings and not knowing what to do with it. And a practitioner kind of like being like, which this is okay, of course, of like, take, all right, let's take deep breaths. They're, they're trying to push me through that experience so that we could get to the next step. Whereas I feel with healing embodied, I was so, uh, I was just held during those moments. I just so many one-to-ones with you where you would just be looking at me with your hands over your heart and nodding and agreeing with my whales. Like I wasn't saying anything and you were just with that. Um, and through the the tooling that you gave me, I learned like, okay, now what do I do with this emotion rather than just now we talk about that emotion. What made you so sad? What I, I'm sure we're going to talk about this more. And this is not anything negative to say about IFS. I love IFS. I just saw a therapist who was not against what they told me. They were not clearly not trained in OCD. Um, but a lot of the times when I would be crying, they would say, what part is driving this? And that part was so intensely protected that then I would lose connection with that emotion and start thinking about what was happening just because they wanted me, they wanted to get right to the point of like, okay, this is parts therapy. We need to connect to that part. And, you know, I have some really intense protectors who in that moment, they're like, nope, shut up, shut you out. And then I really didn't have much to work with anymore because I was kind of forced into this, this next step. Um, Yeah. It's like, as the practitioner, not rescuing means like, can you be with your own discomfort of someone not following along the steps of the plan of session that you had? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, if they're feeling this, I need to help them do this. And we're going to do this now. It's like, can you be in as the practitioner, let yourself feel your own discomfort of the not yet. And like, can we just stay with it even when we don't know what part it is or why? Like, can we just feel it? Can we be with it before we jump into categorizing it? And something that it's making me think of is like you said with some therapists, you you didn't yet trust if you could just let yourself cry. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the people you don't want to show your true emotions to because you know they're just going to say, well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And they say that because they don't want you to feel bad. They go, don't cry. It's that it's like, it comes from this caring place, but this need to rescue is also incredibly invalidating to someone's pain. When you go, don't cry or take a deep breath or everything happens for a reason. It's like this bypassing because you're like, I, this person's upset. This person's in pain. What can I say or do to get them out of it as quickly as possible? Yeah. And they're doing it through a way of let's make sense of this. We have to make sense of this fast. You know, yeah. there's um, it with healing embodied and other somatic therapies, but somatic, these other somatic therapies I've done, they still go to the body with that without allowing the feeling. I just want to say that like it happens on, it can happen on both sides, but when you're dealing with a compulsive um, ruminating disorder, <laughs> such a ruminator. Um, and you're cutting it to let's make sense of what's happening. 
it's like, well, I don't, I'm so scared to make sense of my intrusive thoughts about children and my intrusive thoughts about my sexuality and my intrusive thoughts about my relationship. I don't want to make sense of that because it's so scary. Um, and I think through with healing embodied, it was, it was, it's like a mix because right with, with the somatic therapist I saw, it was kind of immediately like, okay, we need to ground you, find your resource. You need to be grounded. Um, whereas in that moment, I just needed to fucking cry. <laughs> like this is an emotion coming up and then I'll eventually ground myself, but there was more, it becomes like, let's make sense of that emotion in your body. Let's make sense of that emotion in your brain rather than let's just be with this right now, validate what's happening. I'll, I'll guide you through whatever, like you guys are just so fluid in how you approach things. Um, I can assume, I know how you or Sarah are going to respond. Um, but I never really do because you're, you're just going with it. You're going with whatever I'm, I'm throwing at you. Um, which teaches me to be fluid in my response to whatever is happening. Um, and those are some of the things again, that like, I've been thinking about since you asked me to do this of like, oh, they're showing me how to do that with myself. <laughs> I'm, wink I'm winking. Yeah. I'm listening to the podcast. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this actually, I want to skip, I want to go to this other pillar, which is self-trust. And you're talking about something that I've only recently been able to verbally articulate, but it's because I have such a deep trust in the human body and in the human body's capability to evolve and heal. And I know that emotions have an arc. It starts out kind of quiet. It goes through this peak this peak intense experience, and then you let yourself feel the peak, and then it, it's going to soften after that. So because I have such a deep trust in what the body does and what it's capable of, I trust that if I can hold safe, loving, if I can be the regulated safe space in the room, that you're going to experience that yourself. You're going to experience what your body is capable of. You're going to ride the, the peak intensity of that wave, which you never thought you'd be able to feel. And you're going to come down from it and go, I'm okay. And that helps you to cultivate trust in yourself that you could face the things that you didn't think that you were able to feel because you're like, this is going to be too intense. It's going to kill me, which is like what a lot of people subconsciously believe. Like if I let myself feel this grief, I'll feel it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it'll always be so intense. If I let myself feel this anger, it's going to become destructive. If I let myself feel this fear, it's going to take over me. But to trust, I'm like, I know I trust what the body does and her wisdom. And I trust in you as an adult human being to be able to do things that you didn't yet believe were possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes to all of that. Um, Self-trust is, it's so key in this um, and it's so difficult. I think it's why so many of us are in this position is we can't um, tune into the wisdom that our body holds because we've gotten so accustomed to relying on our minds. I thought my mind was like the bomb. Like I was like, oh my, I'm so smart. I'm thinking all day. I'm problem solving. And then OCD hits and it's like, oh my God, I've been so betrayed, which is also a little traumatizing to your concept of self-trust 
what I saw as self-trust before was in my brain. I did not have a connection with my body. Then I lose the trust of my brain and I was like helpless. I didn't know where to go with that. Um, so working with you all, teaching me to ground myself in my body, that helped reestablish self-trust. Because like you said before, when I would go through those peaks of emotions, I was thinking my way through it and like thinking about the pain and thinking about um, what caused that or what happens next or, you know, catastrophizing and <clears throat> very black and white thinking with that. Um, whereas now I'm, I'm still, you know, that doesn't go away. I'm still processing life is life. It's going to throw things at you. Like this work does not mean you don't have feelings anymore. Just means that when I'm in that peak, which I have been recently, <laughs> I know what to do in a way that's, um, I trust that will actually get me to the other end with more connection to myself rather than a connection to like in the past with CBT, for example, it's like, if I have a big emotion, I have to journal what the emotion was, what do I think caused it? What, um, what, what's the word? Oh my gosh. This is used all the time. Oh. What's a distortion, cognitive distortion proof. I had to write out proof that it was or wasn't real, which is like OCD was like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Give me that. Like, let me poke holes in any rationale that you come up with that it's not true. I remember going to my therapist and be like, I have arguments for it and against it. What yes. do you want to hear? <laughs> you're, yeah, the mind is so creative and especially for creative, intelligent people, your, your mind is a nonstop debate team. There will always be arguments for both sides. It's actually incredible and really cool being at the place where I am now, where I can look at my mind and be like, that's funny. Or like, what a protector you are. Um, so having more compassion for it. But yeah, that's all to say that like through this work, I needed trust to do that. I had so much trust before in my brain working it out and, you know, targeting that problem that I just needed. To, you, you don't have self-worth. Your confidence is low. I know that's the problem. Then what do you do with that? Whereas now it's like, I, I understand that I have abandonment and worth trauma and wounding. Um, and rather than trying to like sit there and, you know, think of all the things that caused that for me, I will feel into that and trust that like through feeling that, um, that I'm going to, you know, get through it. And also being at the point where I am now, I'm excited. I'm like, that's something I get to integrate. Yes. Um, and that's through you. <laughs> And Sarah, like demonstrating that for me, I mean, you were never like super psyched to know that I was triggered severely, but I think that you had that, um, insight of like, okay, this is Liz's history with this sort of intrusive thought. She's having a spike. You would be watching me, you know, my history of what that spike is, or like the intrusive thoughts that could have led to this spike. And you have that trust in first of all, your program and what it's taught me. And then also we've built that trust between each other where, you know, okay, Liz is going to handle this. She's in pain right now, but she's done this before. And I know she trusts herself more than she did initially, um, which is so empowering to like, I mean, there's so many cases of empowerment within this work, but just that example of seeing that, you know, I've got this without having to like come rescue me and show me exactly how to do this 
that's the like the way you you're riding those waves of my emotions <laughs> um yeah it's, it's just it's really cool and something i want to say about like as a practitioner building a client up in their self-trust is that i didn't throw you in the deep end with no floaties or ladders your first couple weeks it was like there was this I want you to learn that you can trust yourself in these things over here and knowing that self-trust is like a snowball and it compounds and compounds and compounds and compounds, but there there's also a strategy in creating the optimal space for you to cultivate self-trust. I'm not going to have you jump into something where you're going to drown and then you're like traumatized just from the experience of trying to trust yourself. Um, so if there's anything you want to speak to that, like noticing your own compounding, like ability to hold things that you can hold now that you couldn't yet hold even earlier in our work and how that's been something that has been built upon. Yeah. I think when you were talking about that, I, the first thing that came up was, um, first of all, like I said, I've been doing this work with you for two years. It's not on day one. You weren't like, let's dive into your grief and feel it all. It was very small steps because that's what needed to happen. I, I'm still working through it. And I just, I've, I've carried so much that I haven't felt for so long. And I, we never talked about this, but it seemed like you saw that. And our first one-to-one session after I'd done Luscious Love and then uh, Pillars of Trust, I think it was called. Do you remember that? Radical Self-Trust, that one? Yeah, yes. I was like, yeah, two, three. Oh my gosh, how many years ago? Three? I don't know. Two years ago, I think. Yeah, it was two years ago. I think in March or April. Um, um, but then I decided to do one-to-one with you. And our first session, I remember you saying, I think we need to develop a contrast. And this is probably, I mean, we've had so many awesome sessions in terms of like me having big moments of revelations and connection, but that I still think of that session because you showed me, this is what dysregulation, this is what OCD, this is what intrusive thoughts feel like in your body. And then at the time I was 24 seven dysregulated, but at moments of regulation, when I felt that openness, I was like, remember this feeling in your body. Don't forget that is the contrast. So even today in moments where I experience spikes, even though it's still difficult, I still have myself is, is stronger um, and is able to say, this doesn't feel like self in my body. This feels like dysregulation. Um, So that has empowered me to like, take that grounding step of, I know that this isn't me. I know that this is like wounding or protective parts coming up and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then taking those steps towards getting myself regulated based on what we've worked on together. Also, like, I think because you are so fluid in how you engage with your clients or me specifically, pretty sure everyone, but I'll speak for myself. I, created my own path as well. Like I wasn't just like, okay, they said that you should connect to your child. And in these ways, it was more of like, just listen to what they need. And this sounds cheesy, but it's been so helpful. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was driving. I tend to cry when I'm driving, especially after I've done like a intense, like cycling class or something. I think that's like the spin class 
pushes my nervous system out of <laughs> fight or flight because it's intense. And then after that, I'm like, ah, but I was listening to a love song and I remember almost forcing myself to think of my partner with that love song. And because I was like, you know, wanting that love song to be about my partner, I felt this anxiety. And then I was like, hold on, why don't we make this love song to your inner child? And I felt amazing. And I was like, no one told me to do that. I, it just was an idea that came to my mind. And I just, I think my inner child wanted to feel that love that I was trying to outsource to someone and force that connection there. But instead I was, I can't even remember what the song was. Um, but I was like, okay, this is my song to you because I love you so much. And yeah. <laughs> um, and it just was so helpful. And that was another time that like that came to me when you asked to talk about this, where it's like, no one ever gave me that step. No one ever encouraged me. I didn't see anyone. Right. I was just listening or paying attention to, okay, I just had this response to this thing I'm trying to force. Why don't I try something a little different? I know my inner child feels rejected and unworthy. So let me help her feel love. <laughs> yeah. I love that you're saying this because, you know, not only are you learning to trust yourself to feel your uncomfortable feelings, but you're trusting your own intuitive nudges of what you uniquely need in order to heal. Mm -hmm. The healing embodied method is not, while there is a, a method and, and components and pillars and things that we've codified, so to speak, it is not a step-by-step -step thing where it's like CBT, you write down the trigger, you write down the emotion, you write down the distortions, or like, okay, well, let's categorize what part this is. Is this a protector part? Is this a, uh, a what exile? Is this a this? Like, it, it, like you said, there is a fluidity to it, which when when i understand the the need and the desire for like structure and steps especially in the beginning but ultimately what helps you to trust yourself is to kind of throw away all those step-by-step -step manuals and to go what do i need and do i trust myself to slow down listen to that and then actually give myself what i need and then to blow my own mind because I am the author of my own healing. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. <laughs> it, and it does end up feeling that way. It feels like at this point, I'm like, Chelsea's my mentor. <laughs> and I like, I, I think of you and I think of Sarah when I have those moments, but I am, I do feel that sense of empowerment. You, I didn't completely outsource my well being to you. I came to you as my mentor, as my teacher, as someone to show me how to connect to myself so that myself can give me that direction. Um, and it's so awesome. I get emotional about the experience that I just had. Cause I'm like, you just did that. Like, yes. I'm so hug and celebrate that. The fact that I got there because I, I guess even two years ago at this point, for sure, it was the beginning of working with you all. I, zero, zero connection to, um, that sort of intuitive sense. It was just pain, 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 pain. And what you all did was help me get through that. Show me, it's almost like, it's almost like a martial arts. Like you're given all the different things that you need to do as 
a martial artist, but then when you're on the floor, you can use that thing you learned in step one or that thing you learned in step six or, or none of it. You could do your own thing. <laughs> I don't know if that applies in martial arts, but in this, I mean, I don't know. I just think that part is so fascinating and cool and unlike anything mm. really we're done. Yeah. It's, I mean, for us at Healing Embodied, like we have a modality, but we also like the modality is about deviating from the modality, like it not following this rigid prescriptive. This is the modality. This is what we do in the modality. It's more about the relationship and the trust and like what is uniquely happening in the moment together. And this is leading me to our other pillar, which is curiosity. Like rather than this is what needs to happen or this is what I think is happening and this is based on my experience this is what's happening for you it's like constantly coming back to curiosity that 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 question the open-ended questions what does my body need in this moment what tell me more about that let's explore this more versus oh this this is happening it's fitting into this category of this modality and then based on that we need to go to this step so yeah, speak to your experience of being on the receiving end of just curiosity versus more prescriptive styles. I think in the beginning, had you said, well, you might've said it actually. And I was so desperate that it was okay. But thinking on it now, it's like, of course I would want someone to tell me I'm going to get, well, actually perfect example, ERP. When I was, which nothing against ERP at all. I think there are parts of it that are super helpful. Sometimes you do need to tell a thought, whatever. I don't know. Maybe I am gay. I don't care. Moving on. Um, But with ERP, I remember I was just officially diagnosed. I looked it up and it was like, you can get well within 12 weeks. And I remember looking at my boyfriend and being like, in 12 weeks, I'll be better. And like considering the steps with my therapist in the beginning, I was like, what is this going to look like? He told me about the hierarchy plan. And I was like, great, we're going to get to the top of that pyramid in the 12 weeks. I'm going to plan this out. And like three months in, I was still a hot mess, like could not really move past the feelings part of it because it was so cognitively driven. Um, And because with ERP, it was very much similarly of like, um, well, you know, who cares? Or like, maybe that thought is telling you something about your upbringing. Like it, it brought a lot of awareness to the surface, but as a chronic overthinker, I had all the awareness in the world. Like there was nothing someone could say to me that I was like, I never thought of that really not to even boast myself. I just was thinking 24 seven, especially with OCD, I already um, thought of everything that there could be to be thought of already. I remember he asked me like uh, what my religious upbringing was. And I said, I was raised in a very, very strict Catholic home. And he's like, that's what it is. And I was like, are you kidding? Me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course, that's a part of it. But what do I do with that? Um, the curiosity with an ERP was there. It was, but it was cognitive. It was like, okay, you're having this intrusive thought again let's say about sexuality um what's the worst that could happen with sexuality let's be curious about what your brain is catastrophizing and i would say it and then it was kind of like okay now pretend like you don't care <laughs> like don't have a response to that or don't don't give in to the compulsion to 
to check and do all of those things. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Just thinking about doing that, like what? Oh yes. And that was like, that was the part of building out the hierarchy, which you could argue that that is, that that's being curious about your anxiety. What's the worst thing that could happen anxiety, which, you know, your brain is going to be like, again, nom, 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 nom. Let me, yeah. let me tell you. And then you're expected to not have a response to that. Or the goal is to not have a response to that. Whereas I think with healing embodied and the work that we've done, it's more of a curiosity of that emotion, that felt sense in your body, which then would bring a more calm voice. Um, I'm trying to think of how to explain this a bit better. Also with somatic therapy, because somatic therapy was also curious about the feeling in the body, but it was still steps driven of like, okay, target that feeling in your body. What does it feel like? What does it look like? Yes. Yes. And then if I would divert, because as an OCD person going through an intense spike or something, it was like, no, stay in your body, stay in your body. And it's like, well, my body is actually in a lot of pain. And my resource, which is my earlobe, is not really helping right now. I'm, I'm and then they would give me like, oh, you're you're going into the trauma vortex or stuff like that, where I was like, I don't, okay, I'm in the vortex. I feel that. Get me out. Um Whereas being curious in the body, which was really difficult at first, given that, like I just said, that there's a lot of pain in the body, your mind is so, so strong. But over time, just for example, I know what shame feels like in my body now, because I was curious when I would have these feelings and I would, there was always a part of me that was like, I feel shame. Uh, Like that's the root of what is driving these thoughts now I don't even need to think I feel shame. I understand that shame is like stretch across my chest and there's like a little pit in my stomach. And I know what shame needs, which is a lot of compassion to be held and reassured. It needs my inner advocate to say, I don't care, whatever it is, um, you're perfect. You're amazing. You're fucking incredible. Look at you. <laughs> um, does that answer the question about curiosity? I feel like I just went all yeah, around. I mean, there's so many aspects to curiosity, like, especially because it's so interwoven in our work. But even just like, if you were to tell me something that's going on in your life and you give me a short little blip of that thing, mm-hmm. if I don't feel like I have all the information I need, I'm going to ask you to say, like, tell me more about that. Give me more examples versus oh, you told me this blip and based on this blip and my experience with this blip of information you just told me, this is what's happening. Yes. Yeah. And I think there is this subconscious pressure of practitioners to be able to just do that versus like the the humility that that curiosity requires to go, huh, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Can you say more about that? Or give me an example of like what that looks like for you when that happened. What, what do you mean when you said you felt this and the situation? Like, what did that look like? Like, that's one of my favorite questions to ask. Like, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Because I could think I, we could be using the same word, but actually like having two different con- concepts of what that actually is. So like, even just asking like, well, what did that look like? That reminds me of the podcast episode you had with your former teacher. Um, which is one of my favorites. I love that episode. He is a hoot. And I think understanding what you went through and seeing where you are now was also awesome. But I loved 
one of my favorite parts that stuck with me was how like in the classroom you were having an OCD meltdown about your relationship. And um, he was just like, okay, well then leave. And then you broke down and then he kind of saw like, oh shit, something's happening here. And then he became curious and he was like, what's that? And then you said what the baseline of it was of like, I feel like I have to leave my, my partner. And he was like, no, no, no. But what's going, like he was being, he saw the, what our minds project, what our fear projects, but he was like, no, no, there's a root there. There's something else that's going on. And that is what's worth getting curious about, but knowing, not, not following the rabbit hole of OCD, not saying, well, why are you having intrusive thoughts about your sexuality, your relationship, your nieces, whatever it is. It's more of like, well, what's driving that? Like, and that's where I think the let's connect to your body in a way it almost grounds you to just our bodies are part of us. But I think because we're so detached or I was so detached that it was like, I was getting to know this thing that was South of my chin, um, (laughs) my whole life. Um, so it felt scary, but at the same time, it's that, uh, what's the word is it titrate it's like going back and forth in between so you're understanding okay I had this intrusive thought I'm getting curious about what's going on in my body and then through that curiosity my body's going to give me some sort of insights as to what's actually happening what the emotion is what that feeling that's in your body that's happening that's driving those thoughts um yeah versus if my professor would have heard me say, I'm afraid I have to leave. And he goes, well, why don't you just leave? Or like, maybe that you really do need to just leave. Like, like if it just stopped there, right. Curiosity is what takes you into deeper understanding, not even just conceptually, but also somatically. Yes. Or even if he was like, well, why do you think you need to leave? And he, in, if he asked you that and then you said, well, he doesn't do the dishes and he was really rude to me sometimes if I uh, watch reality TV and then he might be like, that's a red flag. Right. Him, and we know this happened to me um, to him. That's that might be something that's like a no in a relationship. He wants to be able to watch uh, Real Housewives and, you know, have their partner do the dishes. Um, but instead, it's like knowing that something is driving this feeling and then it might, unless it's abuse, of course, unless he asks and you say he's hurting me physically, then that's one thing. But um, I don't know. It's like you all have this understanding that our minds produce a lot of garbage. Oh no. Well, it does, but our mind is trying to translate the language of our body. And it does that with stories that we've been feeding by culture. Um, by generational trauma, by beliefs that you create on your own. It's trying to literally translate a language that your body doesn't speak. And that's when it's like, your brain's not all that smart. So if you actually just say, okay, you just sent me spam, I'm going to do away with that. And you get to know actually what's, what's happening underneath um, and doing it in a way where you've already developed trust, because then I feel like I can tell you like, okay, if I'm having intrusive thoughts about children, um, what's driving that thought? What do I feel when I have that thought? I feel shame. 
and fear and unworthiness. And that's worth being curious about not why I'm having, or not more context about the thought itself. And that really does take the ability to like sit back yourself. Cause these intrusive thoughts can be effed up. They can be things that like a traditional CBT therapist, I didn't share these thoughts because I was like, they're going to call the police or like tell me that I need to be locked up. And I felt that way, but I felt that way because I had shame, (laughs) you know? So when you're developing that trust with your client, that shame is overridden by the desire to get better. Um, And you're showing me through your trust in me and helping me develop trust in myself that I can be curious that I now know this thought is just a thought. I've had it before. I mean, it's, I've had a bit of a spike this past week and I've been able to separate and say, I know that thought and I know that feeling and I'm going to stay with the feeling, not staying with the thought. I'm going to get curious about that feeling. Yeah. And also like, I think being, being able to access curiosity requires you to have this trust that and this leads me to my next pillar that there is unconditional mm. love for you. Like if you are genuinely doubting or afraid of how I would respond because you didn't like you didn't feel that unconditional unwavering love, you might not be able to be curious because you're afraid of what you're going to find out or what find out and you're afraid to say it because you're afraid of like how is it going to be perceived? Is this person going to judge me? Is this person going to go, whoa, like what? Oh, maybe we should call someone out. Like, because you're like, I know that no matter what I say, no matter what I say, I'm going to be met with love. It allows you the space to be curious about the things that feel so scary. 100%. Um, Especially if you're working with someone like me, for example, that has a lot of shame. I said it like 13 times on this call already, (laughs) but I have, I've had so much shame. And I also believe this is from like generational trauma. I just, there's so much shame that's unnecessary that I'm like, why do I, but it doesn't matter. It's shame. And before I let it spiral out of control. And I still think this is an area that will take some time because 35 and have been dealing with this my whole life, basically. Um, But I think that the way that you and Sarah have held me has shown me my worth in a way, because I've said my intrusive thoughts, shared my fears, nothing has deterred you. (laughs) Um, And also within group, I, I like, I think that helps me. Um, We had someone recently in group was going through something and, you know, was on the Facebook page looking for help. And I just remember telling them, you are a perfect human. You come from abundant love and nothing you do is wrong. And I said that and I meant it so much because that is how I have been made to feel. I'm trying to establish that within myself as well. Um, Definitely much, much better than I was two years ago trying to do this. But even in those moments, seeing me give that to someone else, I'm like, oh, that's within me too. <laughs> I learned that. And now I'm, I'm able to, to help other people see that 
or hopefully see that um, the way that I have. I just, you know, need to flip the the subconscious um, belief that I'm not. Uh, but that takes time, and that's okay. And I'm and I'm through learning from you. I'm being patient and taking my time um, with doing so. Oh, it is so it is so cool, like to see that ripple effect, and like when you have be been able to meet like your own worthiness and wholeness. And even if you, you're seeing glimpses of it, cause the shame comes back in, like, but you're able to connect with glimpses of it and you know, it's there. And like, you're able to see that in yourself. And then just as a natural byproduct, you want to reflect it to other people because you know, the pain of believing that you're fundamentally unlovable. It, it is the most painful existence to live in, to believe in your body that you're fundamentally unlovable. And so for you to access like, wait, no, I am inherently worthy and abundantly lovable and loved and loving and love itself. I can't help but to want to mirror that to other people because of how like how freeing that that truth is. Yeah. And you nailed it with the fact that I don't think this person didn't outright say I'm bad, I'm unworthy, I'm wrong. I could just see in what they were writing that they felt that that was, again, through that, you know, what they wrote was the context of their thoughts and their feelings and what it was surfacing. But beneath that, I saw you're feeling unworthy, you're feel you feel like you're bad um, and you're doing something so wrong and that's really hurting you and I just wanted like goosebumps again I just love this work I just like knowing what that felt like um and also not taking it on I just I felt this like duty in that moment to step in and be like I've got you babe here are some steps that have helped me and above all you need to know that you are so fucking loved by everyone in this group by the universe um yeah, so I think that that has been really, really healing for me um, because I think we grow up with such intense conditions around love. Um, well, especially, you know, in childhood, if you're not receiving love from your family the way that you as a child need to, um, regardless of how beautiful your life was or hard it was, you as a sensitive being need um to feel loved, <laughs> Chelsea. <laughs> um, and yeah, just to be able to have people show you that and encourage you to feel it on your own. I think that is, I don't, I love you and Sarah and I like really want to be your friends, <laughs> but I'm not like seeking you for validation all the time. Like I would have two years ago. I, I, I Two years ago I did. I was kind of like, oh, am I doing this right? Uh, um, but now I'm just kind of like these human beings have taught me how to find this within myself and then give it to other people. I feel like I'm going to get emotional about this. I'm already there. I'm already, <laughs> I'm already there. It's uh, a, and this is why I've told you that you guys are going to like, you need, you know, you don't need to do anything, but just save the world already. Like so many people need this. We don't realize how much of this comes, first of all, is within us. Like we are the source, we hold the source. And it's so incredible to me 
like seriously you asking me to come on here and be like tell us about how it's different i've never thought about that i've only just felt it and been like i like this i like this i like this um but I, it's just so incredible now i'm like oh they had they had a plan <laughs> hey there was a plan they knew what they were doing <laughs> yeah and um to me, I think this is the foundation of all of it is this unconditional love. And I just like in the therapy world, there is it almost feels naughty or taboo to use the word love in the ther therapeutic relationship. Like there has to be this kind of distant removed. And I get boundary like I get that, like boundaries being clear about the role of the relationship. And I'm like, why did we ever leave love out of? the room because that is the fundamental human need and that is the thing that is the that is the thing the reason why people come into your office virtual or physical is because there is parts of them that learn that they're not worthy of love and as all these responses they've developed all these patterns and behaviors and protective mechanisms and parts but fundamentally when we like when the darkest messiest quote unquote, ugliest, unlovable parts of ourselves are actually met with love. That is, that is life-changing. That, that, and then it, it's just a ripple effect. Like the, the reason why I do what I do is because I'm like, I want, I want Liz to see how fucking love she is. I want Liz to know that about herself. I want this. I want everyone to know that about themselves and to see themselves for who they really are, which is this infinitely loved, powerful, creative being. And once you see that in yourself, you just named it. Like you can't help but like want to to pass that on to other people because it's the most life-changing thing. The, the most, I think, <sighs> I think that the way we are raised in our society, we are, well, from, I think I repressed love. <laughs> that that love was put into the shadows because love became scary and loving was something that was painful. Um, so love go down. And then having you so many times messaging me after a one-to-one -one or even definitely in our one-to-ones, but following it up after and just being like, I love you so much. It's like this human being just saw me expressing parts of myself that I've repressed and wants, is like encouraging me that I am still loved. So of course that's, you're shining a light in my shadows and, and I've like, through that work, I've actually taken the way that you have approached that. And I've done that within myself. I turn that within and I look at the, the ugly parts that I've repressed and I look at them and I hear them and I, I let them cry. I let them fucking throw a gross hissy fit. What do you want to say? Okay, let's get it out. Whether it's through words, through sound, through movement, let's get it out. And then I will turn back to them and say, oof, I gotta feel like myself getting emotional about this, but I'll say like, you are amazing. <laughs> you are so amazing. And I love you so much. And then the, the, I, this is when I'm like, this is psilocybin. This is like, this is religion. <laughs> this 
healing that comes. I, this happened a couple of weeks ago on my birthday. I don't know if I told you this, but I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, I'm 35. I had felt so much anxiety about reaching 35. Like you're in your mid thirties. That's you're getting old. But in that moment, after like working with so much that was happening, I was like laughing and smiling and crying about how much I love the fact that I'm 35. Like I made it 35 times around the sun. I'm here. That's incredible. What a miracle. Like it's just such a different relationship from the the different relationship that I had before. And I, and again, I just want to like reiterate that it's you showing me how you respond to my pain and my ugliness that I'm like, Oh my God, that person still absolutely loves me through that. Maybe even more after that. So I'm going to show my parts that and no, let them know that I think they're amazing and worthy of love. So yeah, of course, then I'm, I'm seeing someone in pain and I'm like, I want you to know this. And I also want to say that it didn't feel urgent for me either. I just felt this like knowing of like, I'm, I have a responsibility within myself to tell this person the wisdom that I've gained. And I want them to know that. Um, yeah. And it, and that's such a difference because that's coming from overflow versus obligation and rescuing. Yes. Like the feeling that you had, the intention behind it, the approach was so different. And it's just bringing us back to the very beginning. It's like, you can be of massive service and deeply help people by not rescuing them, but by loving them so deeply wherever they're at, by empowering them, by helping them to learn that they can trust themselves, mm -hmm. like by helping them build a relationship with their body. Um, uh, I'm just... I'm so, I'm so obsessed with what we do and the people that we get to do it with. It's like, to me, it doesn't even feel like quote unquote therapy. It's just like, I can't describe it. Like I, like I have a relationship with you. I have a relationship with the people I work with. It's not just like this void. I feel like the therapy field has become more and more void of human real human connection and vulnerability on both sides. It's like, I'm asking you to be vulnerable with me, but like, where's my vulnerability? And that's not to say I have to be dumping on you or like sharing things that are not relevant, but like my vulnerability in expressing how much I love you, how much I care, like that's vulnerable too. And I feel like for the therapeutic relationship to be truly effective and transformative, like the vulnerability needs to be there on both parts. Of course, it's going to look different, but for me to open up my heart to you and say, fucking love you. <laughs> and I'm so glad I get to know you. And I think you're amazing as a human being, as just Liz. I can receive that so much better than I could before. It's really incredible. Um, and I also want to add that there were several times in therapy, you and Sarah would both do this of you would like, I was in, you know, anxiety throws and the throes of anxiety and you would pause and you would say, this is what I'm feeling right now. You would say, I feel, I'm feeling a heaviness in my chest. I feel like maybe like, and then you would do your own movement to help yourself move through whatever I just gave you so that you could give it back. 
And that to me was not only you being vulnerable of showing me, I have a reaction to this, but you're showing me a healthy way to work with that and not just carry it, take it on. And then, because I think a lot of the times what happened with that is people would hear what I had to say and already be thinking of um, their own projection of whatever that solution is. But if it's not working, they're forced, they're trying to like force this thing on me, there would be frustration. Ooh. And not like it was never, um, well, maybe once it was not a great response, but um, I just was more of like, oh, okay, that we can't really go there right now because I just pushed it. You know, that it was kind of teaching me like a little bit of shame um, in that, like, oh, I just overshared. Whereas with you and Sarah, you're just like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. This is maybe you can move with me. If you're feeling that same sort of thing, why don't we move together? And then we move, we move on. So I never felt like a burden on you. It was more of like, if anything, I was like, oh, holy shit. I just told that human being these like crazy thoughts I've been having and fears. Um, but I never felt that shame. And I never felt that you guys were like, okay, okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Like take a deep breath. Let's, let's ground right now. It's like, no, you let me wail and you let me pound. And I remember we did the workshop in Chicago and I did like a example of what grief felt like. And Sarah, I'll never forget this, came up to me sobbing and gave me the biggest hug. And I was like, oh my God, what's more healing than this? <sighs> Yeah, to yeah. know that like you as a human have an impact on another human versus like kind of this cold calculated your what I'm hearing from these other therapy experiences like what you said or did didn't fit into the box of what they thought was going to happen next and they kept trying to push the thing that they had planned in their mind versus just like going with this human experience that's coming up that's messy and doesn't fit in the box um but also like like I was saying, for you to know that your story and your pain, it does impact us. We feel it with you mm -hmm. and we'll let you know I'm feeling it with you. Like, whoa, yeah. I feel the, the bigness of this with you. And I want you to know that it impacts me because I'm a human who cares about you, another human. And I think that's how you made me feel held. I haven't really been able to like, be like, how did I feel like this human being 3000 miles away was just hugging me through that. And I think it is that you're, you were, that's the validating part. That is you being like, that's such a big emotion. I'm, I'm really feeling that right now. Um, cause I'm like, yeah, I know. Versus, um, you know, back to the IFS piece, it felt very like, okay, where's that part? How do we categorize this experience? Yeah. And, and, and tell that part it's over. You don't need to be there anymore. Tell it to move on. And I would be like, um, I'm not getting a response. And then it was being forced. And then that part disappeared. And I would always say she's gone now. And they're like, Oh, really? And I'm like, yes, she's when I'm not listening to her. Um, because you are uncomfortable. You want me to get better. I think it's based in good, yeah, yeah. but I'm not following what you, the roadmap of what you you put together without my consulting with me. Um, wow. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, you can have all these really helpful certifications and trainings in certain modalities. You can be, you could know everything about IFS. You could be a somatic therapist. And without these things here that we just talked about, it's not going to land in the way that 
you as the practitioner wanted to land with your clients. Right. It's too much control. You can't, that's bring it full circle. Me in the car being like, I'm going to have this song be about my, my little Liz, little Dee Dee. And it just, I had the autonomy to do that. Whereas I think if I were following this structure, I'd be like, what part is this? What is its name? Like focused on the part that was anxious that I was like trying to force the song to be about my boyfriend, (laughs) which like, I love him, but he doesn't, I don't need to like, I don't need to be doing that. Who needs that right now is my little, my little self. Um, So yeah, to bring that full circle, it's like, you've taught me through your ability to be fluid and like go with what's happening to do that within myself. All the work you taught me, it's like you're showing leading by example of how I should be with myself. Wow. Yeah. That's, thank you for reflecting that, that like, unless the practitioner is embodying these things for themselves and to the client, it's like when it's embodied and when it's modeled how much easier it is for you to then take it and apply it to yourself because you're experiencing it and you're witnessing it in real time you're Mm -hmm. having visceral experience of what it's like to sit with my discomfort meet my ugliest parts with love like hold myself with compassion like you're having this visceral embodied experience based on what me or sarah is embodying to you and with you yes and like without a goal your ego isn't attached. It's not this thing that's like, I have to get this done. Um, I need this feeling to go away. It's more of, I don't have a goal here other than to be with what's what's coming up and to listen, to be curious, to trust myself, to feel empowered, and to know that I am made from <laughs> abundant love. <laughs> oh, well, that's a perfect way to tie that podcast episode in a bow. You just wrapped up our pillars. Um, all together and literally this is in our syllabus these these pillars that we've talked about today um so yeah i i would i would love for more practitioners to um really really deeply embody these things to take their work to the next level you could be a really skilled somatic practitioner trauma practitioner ifs practitioner and when you infuse it with all these things just like the result and the power of your work is just going to explode and your clients are going to sob with <laughs> gratitude, you know, for what you've been able to do for them. And again, it's, it's not me and Sarah. It's not like, oh, we are the ones who are the only ones who know how to do this thing. And therefore only our clients can have these experiences. It's like, no, we've just embodied these very important things that we've picked up on over the years and now we want to teach them to others who want to yeah weave this in and integrate this into their practice so thank you a million a million a million a trillion thank you what a gift to me i'm this is such a gift to me so thank you so much you know that i'll i think last episode i was like i'll hold signs and hand out flyers (laughs) that's still the case um <laughs> uh yeah I love this work it's so inspiring it's life-changing I want to do it for people around the world <laughs> um and I think that like it should be a part of every therapist's curriculum is you need to learn how to self-regulate and be grounded and how to have self-compassion and love and curiosity etc um 
because it'll make your jobs a lot lighter, I think. Um, not taking it on, it's, yeah, it's much lighter. Mm -hmm. uh, Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Of course. Anytime. I'll come back. <laughs> don't, don't test me. I will. I will take you up on that. I'm testing you. <laughs> I'll take you up on that. I love you so much. Thank you for this. Thank you. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of the healing embodied world in whatever way that you are. Uh, it's much appreciated. So I will talk to everyone here on the podcast. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being here. If you are interested in this first of its kind practitioner training program, whether you're already a practitioner of sorts, a therapist um, who wants to take your skills to the next level, you want to integrate somatic work, embodiment, creative expression, uh, shadow work, you want to explode your business to the next level, your private practice, um, or you want to start your career path in helping others. Maybe you're in a career path that does not light you up and you have been so personally impacted by your own inner work that you now want to help others um, through that. I want to invite you to book a completely free and obligation-free uh, informal information call with me about the practitioner training program. I have been loving having conversations with people and hearing their dreams, their goals, their desires, and like what they want to create for their life and their career and like to help unlock people's dreams. Like these conversations have been so cool. And whether you're interested in joining the spring 2024 cohort or you're just interested in a future round or interested in general, I would still love to have a conversation with you, connect with you. I feel like I'm building this beautiful little community here of practitioners who want to deviate from the traditional path. They want to carve their own path. They want to disrupt the current system that is no longer working. So I, I've just loved having these conversations and I would love to invite you to book one of those calls with me. Uh, it's 15 minute long. 15 minutes long, we're just going to chat it's going to be very open-ended and I just want to learn more about you and your dreams and yeah to share more about what exactly this program is and how it can potentially support you in creating your absolute dream career as a practitioner so I will put the link to that in the show notes and I am so looking forward to talking to you